Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. This is called the Inward Sea, which is where we are right now. There is in every person an inward sea, and in that sea there is an island, and on that island there is an altar. And standing guard before that altar is the angel with the flaming sword. Nothing can get by that angel to be placed upon that altar unless it has the mark of your inner authority. Nothing passes the angel with the flaming sword to be placed upon your altar unless it be a part of the fluid area of your consent. This is your crucial link with the eternal. This morning, I was prepared (laughs) to talk, and I am more so now, to talk about silence, which seems a contradiction, to talk about silence as a path to God. I'm also going to talk about the signature of all things. It's a theory that I have expanded um, as part of our philosophy, Science of Mind, signature of all things as an illumination for the path to God. And then we're going to talk about um, strategies, practices to bring this into everyday life. Um, Those of you who are familiar with this philosophy called Science of Mind know that it is not just a theory, it's a practice, it's a way of life. And the value in this philosophy is that we can use it. We can bring it into our everyday lives. So it is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 24 hours a day. We are using a book by Howard Thurman this month, um, Meditations of the Heart. Howard Thurman was a mystic. Uh, He published in the 20th century. Um, You will note as other writings, including our founder, Ernest Holmes, as other writings of this time, it is politically incorrect in that they say he and his and so on. And I will try to not change that as I read and speak, but you will notice that I do anyway, because that's just, yes, what I do. Um, The angel with the flaming sword reference comes from uh, Christian mythology. Um, it It appears in several books in the Bible. And according to that, a theory, it is the angel with the flaming sword represents, it's a, a messenger from, from heaven, if you will, from the divine, from God, that is here to uh, protect us, to stand with us, to stand for us. And to me, it's a metaphor for the presence of the divine um, that corresponds to the presence that lives within us, as us that lives within every person. So it is a symbol of um, the sacred divine that, um, that is the truth of all of us, that is the truth of life itself. And when he speaks about inner authority and fluid area of your consent, um, he's talking about consciousness. He's talking about our partnership with the divine that um, must be awakened 
by our own inner authority, by our own awareness, by our own practice of living with that presence within. We all have it. We all are it. And so silence as a path to God, uh, what Thurman is speaking of and what I'm speaking to today is an awareness that life as we know it can be very seductive. We can start to believe that everything that is out here, everything that we do, every role that we are, and that we play, um, is who we are. And we can forget that we are more than that, that life is more than that. And that the prayer experience that Thurman talks about, going into the silence, allows us to create a space where we can remember who we are. And so then we take that into our outside lives and show up maybe in a different way, in a richer way, bringing more of who we are to the human experience, uh, which touches not just our lives, but everyone's. And the way to do that, again, is to be willing to stop, to take a breath, and to listen. And so we'll be talking about practices um, to do that. I'm going to read, and it's a rather lengthy quote, but it is it's worth it, and I couldn't paraphrase it paraphrase it. It's just too beautiful. So, This is an island of peace within one's own soul. The individual lives his or her, see I just did it. He said his. The individual lives his life in the midst of a wide variety of stresses and strains. There are many tasks in which we are engaged that may not be meaningful, even though they're important in secondary ways. There are many responsibilities that are ours by virtue of training or family or position. Again and again, decisions must be made as to small and large matter. Each one involves us to some degree. Each one of us deals with aspects of life. We're all of us deeply involved in the throes of our own weaknesses and strengths, expressed often in the profoundest conflicts within our own souls. The only hope of stability, the only possibility of stability, is to establish an island of peace within one's own soul. Here one brings for review the purposes and the dreams to which one's life is tied. This is the place where there is no pretense, there is no dishonesty, no adulteration. What one really thinks and feels about one's own life stands revealed. What one really thinks and feels about other people far and near is seen with every nuance honestly labeled. Well within the island is the temple where God dwells, the God of one's own heart. Into God's presence one comes with all of one's problems, what a person is, what their plans are, where our lives go, all is available to every single one of us in the presence. How foolish it is. How terrible. If you have not found your island of peace within your own soul, it means that you are living without the discovery of your true home. So that feels like a good news, bad news thing on the surface. 
The good news is discovery of our own true home. Then there's all that other stuff. What one really thinks and feels about one's own life stands revealed. What one really thinks and feels about other people far and near is seen with every nuance honestly labeled. Do we really want that? How many of us really want to know that? How many of us really want to sit with that? Um, My guess is not many. That kind of raw honesty and authenticity uh, can be a little daunting. Some of us have spent our entire lives and developed very sophisticated practices to avoid such a thing, right? Last week, um, Larry was finishing up on the series, A Rhythm of Life, Being Versus Doing, and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking that there might be two scenarios, generally speaking, about being versus doing. One might be uh, doing as an expression of being, and another one might be doing as an avoidance of being. Um, We can get very, very busy out here. Really, really busy out here. So very, truly busy out here that we don't have to experience what's going on in here. And so how much time do we really spend within, inside? Maybe we don't because um, we're afraid it's going to be painful. Uh, Maybe we don't because we're afraid that that authentic, um, every nuance honestly labeled uh, might be like wearing a name tag and we don't want to do that. So we avoid it. The thing is that any real change in our lives is an inside job, always. And I know there are lots of self-help books and programs and so on out there Um, that can give us strategies and step-by-step things so that we can change a whole bunch of stuff out here. And that might work for a time, but unless it's changed in here, it's not going to work very long. Because what goes on out here is a direct reflection of what's going on in here. And unless and until we're willing to spend some time in here, the rest of this is just kind of window dressing, which can be attractive and fun, but I think we're missing out by doing that. So what does it take to be on the inside? What would it take for us to do that? What's it going to take for us to want to get back to the island? I think, first of all, it's going to take an intention. We have to decide we want to do it. And then we have to commit to doing it. And then we have to develop and engage in some sort of practice to do it. And that practice has to involve being in the silence and some prayer and some meditation, which um, can feel like the same thing sometimes. And so we have to have a really good reason for doing it, right? And we have to have a willingness to believe that we're supported in doing it. And so I think what it comes down to is we need to have faith that doing this work, in doing this work, that what we seek to express is seeking to express as us, through us. That when we go to the island, we're going to be met by something, someone that loves us, that knows us, that sees us. 
The Signature of All Things. Um, I'm reading a book by Elizabeth Gilbert that is entitled The Signature of All Things, and the reason I picked the book up was because of the title, The Signature of All Things, and I didn't even know what it meant. I had never heard of it before, but something about that um, drew me in. And so I looked it up on the Internet, and then I looked it up some more on the Internet, and this is what is out there. And I might pronounce this gentleman's name incorrectly. I hope not. Jacob Bohm, or Boehm. He was a German cobbler. He lived in 15 to 1600s. He had no formal education. He had a religious vision, and that inspired him to do some writing about the nature of the divine, the nature of God. He believed that God must have revealed itself in things that God created on earth since this was the only way he could have any knowledge of his true being. And this might be starting to sound familiar to those of you who are involved in science of mind. He published his ideas positing that the greatest understanding lies in the signature wherein man may learn to know the essence of all essences The hidden spirit is known, for nature has given to everything its language according to its essence and according to its form. And really for years, hundreds of years, science and philosophy have been searching for the signature of all things, for the code, for the secret, the fingerprint, the footprint, the thing that's behind the visible. Again, Science of mind, the thing that's behind the visible. Here we call that God, the infinite spirit. And that essence is infused in and as all of creation. And so to me, that means that the signature of all things includes us. And so that means that whatever journey we choose to embark upon going within and exploring our inner landscape and any pains or hurts or beliefs or thoughts or anything that is in here, there is that within us, even as we are doing that, that knows us, that sees us, that loves us. And so we are more than supported in doing whatever it is that is ours to do. So once we get that, once we get and are able to embrace the truth of our beingness, which is that we are expressions of something that is eternal and beautiful and vast intelligence and creativity, once we get that, then it goes from good news and bad news to good news and really good news, right? Because no matter what it is that we wish to do, no matter what we are drawn to do, we know that we're supported in doing it. And that there is that island that is within us, that is ours, that awaits us, and that we're safe and we're good. Howard Thurman speaks to the simple assumption that God is in each one of us a part of our life structure, and we are of God, in God. God is a part of the very content of one's life. So you see, this search 
is um, really easy because we're already the container for it. It's already in here. And it's the truth of us. The rest of it is just stuff that we've accepted or slapped on or, um, or whatever. Our ego, the container that we have uh, to navigate this earth plane, to navigate this existence. There, we are more than this. We are more than this. And that more assists us in expressing that in any way that um, we believe is ours to do. If you read this book, and I hope that you do, um, Meditations of the Heart, he speaks about God's will. And this is a term that is um, bantied about a lot. And there are different understandings of what that means. Um, For some, God's will means that God has a specific plan for your life that is different than the plan for somebody else's life, and it's very specific. There are others of us who believe that God's will means that the fullest expression of who and what we are is God's will. And that each that's why we talk about um, there is only one life, and each one of us are individualized expressions of it. And to me, what that means is that each one of us is needed. And I've used this analogy before, but it's like, it's a good time to use it again. It's like those those string of Christmas lights. I don't know if they still make them like that, but it used to be that you'd, you know, roll out the whole thing of Christmas lights because the idea was you wanted to make sure that all the lights were on before you wound it around the tree because then it was much easier to, to deal with it because it used to be that if one of the lights was not working, then none of them worked. And I think about that. And to me, that applies to us in a way. Because imagine that we are a whole string of lights and we're around the tree and then maybe one or two or ten of them aren't on. The tree's not as brilliant then. The room is not as well lighted then. Because, see, each one of us is required. Each one of us is a gift that is different than the person next to you's gift. Each one of us is different. And if you don't give your gift, then the rest of us have to do without it, and I don't want to. Because I want it all. And nobody can be you except you. And to me, that's what God's will means, is just that. So we have all that we need to enter the silence. We have all that we need because we are all that we need to get back to our own island, to our own altar that is just ours. And the practice of silence is a way to do that. And I think it's the most powerful way. Um, I take you back to however long ago it was, 15 or 20 minutes after this prayer, this chant. You could hear a pin drop in this room. And it felt different. The room felt, uh, and I can feel it as I'm talking about it, I can feel it in my chest, in my heart. The room felt silent, and one, 
That's how it felt. Because that's the truth. And so we have the opportunity to create an experience like that for ourselves. And so what it takes is a decision to do that. To decide that that's what we want for our lives. And then we recognize whatever self-talk might be going on in our own minds about what that might mean for us about our capability of doing that, about how hard it might be or about how possible it might be or about how we don't know how to do it or it's going to take too long and you don't have time and blah, 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 blah. Or we can just start where we are. We could just start where we are. I was talking in the first service about what I used to think meditation was, or more specifically, what people had to be who meditated. Preferably, they had robes of some kind. And they were very holy. And maybe they lived in a cave. And they prayed all the time. And they were just these ethereal, um, highly evolved beings that bore no relationship to how I viewed myself at all. And what I learned was, actually what I learned was, I think that that was a diversion on my part, so I didn't have to do it. I just realized that just now. Um, (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) Because I prided myself my whole life on being very articulate. You know, I really did like to talk, not in big groups like this, but I mean, I really liked, I could talk. You know, I could express myself well, and that was, uh, I was comfortable there. Not so much not saying anything at all. Not so much being quiet. Because stuff starts to happen when you're really quiet, doesn't it? Stuff starts to, you know, go, go through, you know, wah, 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 that kind of thing. And so if you're trying to meditate, you might think, well, I can't meditate because I can't quiet the mind. My mind won't shut down, therefore that won't work. And that excuse won't work either because it's not true. It's not true. We start where we are. And I'm here to tell you, as you are my witness, if I can do this, anybody can do this. I set a timer for two minutes. That's where I started. I'm not joking. Two minutes. It was torture. It was absolute torture. It was. And then I got up to five minutes. More torture still. And plus, I, you know, I have this voice going, I can't quiet my mind. This isn't working. This isn't working. I can't shut this off. It is not working. Trust me, it's working. It's working. And what we learn is, as we gradually get more into it, you know, I went literally from two minutes to five minutes to six minutes to ten, and that's how I did it. That's how I did it until 20 minutes or 25 minutes or 30 minutes felt like two. It took me a while. I'll be honest, it did. And here's one thing that I learned among many things that I learned is even when I thought it wasn't working, it was still working. It was still working. And one of the things I learned to do was have a little cue so that when I observed that my, you know, I was over here planning a menu or whatever it is that I was doing, that I would just acknowledge that that's where my thought was and then i just bring it back. And for me, I use the breath. Different people use different things. I just, and I would literally, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, just to learn to just be. 
See, I was expecting the thing, the golden rod coming out of the, you know, stuff because some people had that experience and I, I didn't. So I thought it wasn't working and I was wrong. It's the only time I've ever been wrong, but that was when I was wrong. <laughs> well, the other time I was wrong is when I thought I was wrong, but I wasn't, but that's another thing. <laughs> but anyway, so I had been doing this and I think I got up to about half an hour and I was doing it every morning before I, I drove the um, 45 minutes to an hour to Napa County where I was at office administrator for a public accounting firm. And after a few months, one of the secretaries came into my office and asked if she could talk to me. And I said, yes. And she said, I just wanted you to know that I've noticed that you have changed. And I said, oh. She said, yeah. She said, you're just, you just seem quieter. You're so much easier to be around. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> And I did. At first I thought, well, what do you mean? What was wrong with me before? I didn't say that, thankfully. Um, but she said that. She said that I just, she said the whole firm was talking about it, that I was just, I just seemed quieter and calmer. Now, see, I didn't know that. Um, I felt that. I didn't know it showed. Um, but it matters. You know, this stuff works, I'm telling you. It, it works. It really works. So... To recap, going within is important because that's where the truth of us lies. And it can inform everything we think, everything we say, everything we do, the choices that we make. And it can give us moments, hours, times, days, lives that feel like I did as these folks were doing their chanting and their praying and afterwards, where this room just felt infused with love and peace and just quiet. It felt like my island. And it was lovely, and that's available to us all the time. All the time. Because that's the truth of us. Nothing's happened. It's still there. We're still there. So I'm going to close by reading the Inward Sea again and then a prayer. There is in every person an inward sea. And in that sea there's an island. And on that island there is an altar. And standing guard before that altar is the angel with the flaming sword. Nothing can get by that angel to be placed upon that altar unless it has the mark of your inner authority. Nothing passes the angel of the flaming sword to be placed upon your altar unless it be part of the fluid area of your consent. This is your crucial link with the eternal. And so going to that altar of the Most High, going to that island, and as I take a deep breath, I remember that there is only one, one something that is everything that I call God. The pure essence of life, creativity, love itself. This beingness that has always been will always be. Expressing itself in, through, and as all of its creation all of the time. 
so that there is no place, no time, no spot where this does not exist. And so I know that means me. I know the truth of me is this one thing that is everything that is love itself. There is nothing I could ever have said or done that makes that go away. It's the truth of me. Always has been, always will be. I know this for myself. I know it for everyone in this room. All an expression of this divinity, this perfect creation, this perfect love, this power beyond measure. So I speak this word for and about everyone in this building this morning, affirming and knowing, claiming a remembrance of who and what we are. And that remembering empowers us to make choices to enhance our lives and thereby transform the entire planet by being willing to stop, to breathe, to give ourselves a space to remember that love is spoken here, that we are emissaries of that love, and that is our assignment. I claim a willingness to remember and to act on that. And maybe in the process to be an island, a stop, an oasis for someone else as they go on their journey. And in gratitude for recognizing that God is all there is, that love is spoken here, and that means every single one of us, I release this word knowing it's true. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.